Hey folks, it's Jeff Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to my podcast called Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. All right, crowdfunders. How is everybody doing out there in crowdfunding land? You guys having a good week? Huh? Yeah, what are we in the third week here of January or second? Where are we? I don't even know. Time's starting to just, you know, do what time does where it just rock and rolls and, and, and moves along. So coming up on today's episode, um, I had a conversation with Casper uh, Brandy Peterson, uh, and he has a very cool product uh, called Lab Fresh, which is uh, funding currently right now over on Kickstarter. And uh, so this is you know, it's a odor stain and wrinkle repellent cotton shirt. Um, so he's got a couple weeks to go and he's currently uh, around $85,000 on a $15,000 goal. So obviously he's doing quite well. Um, but this was an interesting conversation because when, when I first kind of stumbled upon this campaign, man, I gotta, I gotta be honest, I was a little, little, little ticked off, you know, because I come from the serving world, right? And in the serving world, I probably spent over the course of, I don't know, let's just see here, 10, 12, almost 15 years probably bringing food to people or cleaning tables. I probably spent $10,000 on white shirts. And with this shirt, you know, if you've watched their video, you can spill a glass of red wine and boom, your shirt's still fine. It repels it. I mean, that's some amazing stuff here. Uh, I got to tell you, if some of my white shirts from back in the day, working at Grizzly Peak and Red Lobster and Pizza House, um, my shirts could be like a science experiment in terms of what was all on my belly, you know, from beer to pizza sauce to scampi butter. I mean, you know, that you could collect a lot of amazingly disgusting stuff on your, on your, on your stomach. So people out there who are in the industry, I, I'm recommending a lot of you, you know, and, and you're still, you're probably gonna be my Facebook newsfeed. So you got to go check out this shirt, buy one of these shirts. You'd only have to buy like one shirt, two shirts, maybe, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah, so that conversation is coming up. And, and what, I, what I think you're going to really dig on this conversation is hearing about his backstory, Casper's backstory in terms of creating a trunk, trunk club style uh, startup um, and then in, in, uh, in the Netherlands and then selling it. He got rid of it or he's not working on it very much. I don't I can't exactly remember because the conversation was last week. So, but check that. Yeah. So check out that. It's coming up here a little bit later. Um, but man, I'm in that sort of, I got to be honest about where I am a, a little bit. Do my, do my little, my little talking. Um, I, I, I'm like, I think I'm getting the Michigan Detroit gray blues, man. I'm just, I'm just down, you know, um, I'm just kind of fighting through it. Uh, I haven't gotten to yoga this week, so I'm going to, I'm going to definitely try to, to jam that in. Uh, I've been taking some vitamins. I'm taking like a D3 vitamin to kind of, you know, I think that's supposed to make it feel like you're replenishing the sunshine, you know, cause man, it's like 40, 50, 60 days in a row of just gloom and darkness and, and you know, my wife and I are at each other's throats. She hates me like always. Um, and you know, the kids are just kind of in the grind you know, it's just that like, man, whoever decided to create January and February, I don't know, maybe even, you know, March, I think it starts to clean up a little bit because you get some of that, that's, you know, you start getting some nicer weather, but man, it is just dark and gloomy. But yeah, you know, we're going to fire through today. Um, 
uh, gonna gonna figure out some stuff to do a little bit later, and um, yeah, I gotta find something to do with the daughter. I don't know. I, it's challenging as a you know as a Mister Mom style dad, meaning that if you haven't seen that movie, you'll get that reference if you go watch that movie. I mean, I'm not feeding the baby chili or anything like that, but uh, you know, two twenty, two twenty one, whatever it takes. There's a there's a couple lines from that from that great movie. Um, Man, it's tough to find stuff to do with with just your daughter. You know, when you have a three year old daughter, it's like I don't want to go spend a ton of money. Um, you know, they're probably happy with almost anything. We went to the movies on Tuesday. You know, it's like, man, what can we do today? You know, and I feel bad that I don't have answers. And and then I think about articles I've read where it's like, no, sometimes kids just need to be bored. You know, maybe they should go play. Maybe I don't have to entertain them all the time. But I constantly am like, man. I got to be entertaining. I got to be an entertaining dad. And I don't want to be entertaining today. Again, courtesy of our earlier conversation where I'm talking about how gloomy it is and how I'm just not in that like, yay type of tone, right? I'm not in that. I'm not in that vibe. So that's what's going on today. That's my Thursday. Pretty exciting stuff, huh? No, I know it's not. I know it's not. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't have anything exciting. And then I feel like I got to be exciting for you. So did you guys check out cooking and crowdfunding last night, huh? What did you guys think about it? Uh, that was our first attempt at doing a slightly more produced, and it really wasn't produced at all when I say that, um, Facebook Live event. And we were, uh, we did a, it was about 45 to about, uh, about 50 minutes. And uh, I cooked some Greek polenta lasagna, had a ton of comments, had a lot of people chiming in. It was great. The only thing that did happen is nobody had any crowdfunding questions. So I just had to actually just be a chef. You know, I had to just cook and talk. Um, so that's a skill and an art form that I was unaware of, uh, until trying yesterday's, uh, performance. Um, but I'm happy to report everybody ate it. Daughter ate a little bit of it. She doesn't eat anything unless it's uh, cheese or crackers. So we deal with that all the time. But my son ate it. The wife kind of liked it, you know, or said she kind of liked it. I thought it was tasty. I got some leftovers for today. So all in all, a great success. So if if you want, go over on my Facebook and you can uh, see the recipes uh, in the feed. If you look at, you'll be able to find the video. It's like the last thing I did. And if you look into the 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 um the comments, you'll see I, I posted a couple of the I posted the recipes. If you want to go and try them yourself, really, really great. I mean, honestly, it was great. It was like a Greek polenta lasagna. Uh, so instead of noodles, it had polenta. Uh, so I thought it came out really well. And uh, hopefully you guys all enjoyed it. We're going to try to do those every month. So I'm going to start figuring out what next month's recipe is. And uh, and then maybe still, you know, just keep upping that production, you know, just start getting it better and better. Um, so I wanted to talk quickly about a tool that um, that I've been using in uh, for some of my campaigns uh, that, I, that I wanted to share with you guys and, and something I think you guys should check out. So the tool is called Pluck HQ, and that's P-L-U-C-K, uh, and I think it's HQ. So Pluck HQ, just Google that. I don't exactly remember. Here, here's what, when you're referencing, uh, recommending a bunch of tools, the challenging new thing is how many people have different, um, you know, dot coms, dot IOs, dot agencies, dot net, dot, you know, there's just so many dot, something um and i think it's only supposed to get worse because i read the other day that you i think you can start doing emojicons for domains i don't know how that's going to work but whatever um so this tool is pretty interesting if you're if you're out um building a community what it does is it allows you to search on twitter for you know based on your keywords or based on key phrases and it'll find people who are having these conversations and it will pull their email addresses for you to go and um outreach to them so 
you know, why would this be something that you might want to think about using for crowdfunding? Well, well here's how I would approach it. Um, you know, if, obviously this is a long play. This isn't like a rescue technique. I just want to make sure I'm clear on that too. This is something that you're doing for maybe three or four months um, prior to um, launching your campaign so that you're out kind of building building an audience. So what I do is, let's just say that there's a conference. You're, you're doing a comic book. So I don't know. I'm just going to use Comic-Con because I, um, I had this conversation last night, less than 12 hours ago. So... So what you can do is you can go and search that conference and, you know, and, you know, the keywords based off that conference, Comic-Con, Spider-Man, whatever it is, and it'll populate, uh, you know, inside of Pluck, people who are mentioning it, talking about it. So it'll pull out those email addresses. So each morning you'll get some email addresses that say, hey, um, you know, here's the guy. He was at Comic-Con. So now you have a great front door. You know, you have a, a, there's nothing better than, open, you know, you've got to, you've got to, um, you, you know, when you're going to go cold email, you got to at least know something, right? So now you can go and send that email that says something like, you know, hey, I saw that you were at Comic-Con, you know, um, uh, I was watching the online videos of it, or I went in 2015. What did you think was different? Just that question alone, you're in the front door, you, you know, you just, you know, I equate it to like that, that's that moment of like walking up at a, you know, some tech event or something and, and shaking somebody's hand, starting the conversation, you know, that, so now that you have that, you can send a follow-up, you can, you know, you can start to network and you can basically start putting these people that you know what they're into, you, you're putting them into your, your ecosystem, you know, you're adding them on Facebook, you know, you're adding them to Twitter, Instagram, you know, you're starting to just be a friendly human being. So it is a really powerful tool if you, if, if you uh, invest in, in Pluck to, um, you know, to, to, to build more people outside of your friends and family. Because again, that's the biggest complaint I hear from everybody. They, they get nervous, like, I can't just keep going to my friends and family for this project. It's like, you know, well, you have to at start. Almost all crowdfunding has has a bit of friendly family and friends that, that get the ball rolling. But to kind of get that next sphere of people, um, this is something that, again, if you put the time and effort in, you should be able to build uh, a, a solid, you know, a solid list of people. Um, it's a great way to find influencers. So who are the big you know, speaker events from there and, you know, comment on it. Again, put yourself in these conversations. I guess that's the whole point of this. And, and Pluck does a pretty good job of, of making that available um, and making it easy. So, so yeah, so check out that tool if you're into it. It's, some, it's something that, uh, and they didn't pay me to say this. It's something that it's a tool we use and it's a tool I recommend if, if on the long play for uh, my clients. So check it out. But um, all right. So, that's what's going on around here. Let me go ahead and give you a couple things to check out. Let me do some little, a little bit of self-promotion here. Um, well, make sure, number one, if you're enjoying the podcast, make sure you're subscribing on iTunes or sending it to friends. That always helps out a ton. I want to invite, if you're interested in becoming, you know, getting in our community, our crowdfunding community, go to the website, woodshed.agency, and sign up. Uh, you'll notice that we are starting to charge. We charge five bucks. It's a one-time fee. Gives you still access. And the reason we're doing that is um, we found in the first couple months of us doing this, we were getting people signing up and then not showing up again. And we really want people to really get in. And I th- I'm sorry. I think I keep saying really a lot. Sorry about that. Um, what, what we want is we want people to join the community and actually participate in it. So you know, we're finding that if we can put this, we put a little bit of a dollar amount there, people are being a little bit more um, active. You know, they want to get their money's worth out of it, which is best. That's great for everybody. So there's a lot of great networking going on since we changed that feature. So like I said, go to the website, sign up, 
become part of our community. And we talk more than just crowdfunding. We talk about branding and website and landing pages and, um, you know, tips, techniques. I, I share videos of tools I'm using. It's just, it's all around online marketing and with, with crowdfunding is kind of our core focus. So, so, so I'd love if you guys would join that. Uh, if you're into the blogs, you know, go make sure you're subscribed to those and then follow me. Follow me on all of those social media accounts. I'm active. I'm a social butterfly out there. So, all right, that's enough self-promotion. Let's go ahead and kick into my conversation with Casper from LabFresh. And uh, hey, if you're looking in the, in the market for shirts that, that don't get wrinkled and don't, you're, you're a business guy, you're traveling, you got to go check this out. Awesome, awesome product. So here's my conversation with Casper. All right, Casper, how are you? I'm very well, Jeff. Thanks for asking. Uh, good. So where exactly are you right now? I am sitting in Amsterdam in the Netherlands. In, uh, oh, wonderful. Yes. Well, uh, well, wait, what time is it for you right now? It's, uh, it's 3 p.m. So, uh, 3 p.m.? We have one of these wonderful days where it's wet snow falling down so that it looks like snow, but when it hits your face, it's just really, really cold. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. And you're winding down your week, so uh, maybe having a beer or something? Is that, is that happening yet or uh, still got to work a little bit longer? Not a party tonight, but uh, we uh, our campaign slowed down for the first time today. So we're building uh, building ads instead. Well, that's that's a good that's a good transition. Let's talk a little bit about um, what is your campaign and uh, what are you what are you raising money for? Yes, well, um, our campaign is a bunch of uh, of minimalistic shirts that we designed that uh, repels body odor and stains and uh, wrinkles. And uh, there's been quite a few different smart textile projects on Kickstarter and other places. And in general, it's an area where there's a lot of technological development happening uh, the past couple of years. Uh, so for us, it was important to make a shirt that was as breathable and soft and as premium in feeling as, as you get when you buy a really expensive Italian shirt. So in, in all honesty, we believe that we, we have uh, developed... Uh, the most soft and breathable of all, of all these smart textile shirts that have been uh, that have been hitting Kickstarter. Interesting. So we break that down a little bit in layman's terms. What does that mean? You know, if I were to buy one of your shirts, what 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 happens in my day to day life if, when I'm wearing it? Uh, well, it, the main technology is that we put. Um, you can call it that we put a coating around the molecules. So we actually treat the shirt before it becomes a shirt, even before it becomes fabric. So we treat the thread and put some, uh, some, a shell around it so that it gets these hydrophobic uh, properties, which means that fluids and bacteria and so on, it, it, it won't enter, th- enter the fabric. Um, it's not 100% because if it was 100% hydrophobic, it would feel like a raincoat and you couldn't breathe in it and so on. But if you would just pour some red wine on yourself or make a mess with the shiraka sauce or something like that, then uh, it, it will all easily come off just by rinsing it under, under the tap. So when I first reached out, uh, I was actually a little annoyed, and here's why. I spent about uh, 10 years in the restaurant business, and I had to wear white collared shirts for like all 10 years or whatever. I probably spent $10,000 in white shirts because I'd ruin them. 
I worked at a brewery. I spilled beer on them. And, you know, you can't get that stuff out. So you just go buy another one. So I'm just constantly back at the Targets, the Walmarts of the world over here, you know, just buying another $30 shirt, ruining it in three weeks because I spilled ketchup all down the front. Uh, yeah, well, for, for me, it, it came from, uh, I, I, I was in a, in a travel job before, and all my travels were in the Middle East and in Africa, and uh-huh. I was always having a second white shirt, because I was running around outside in the heat and the humidity, and uh, these shirts, in, in climates like that, they last you a couple of months, and then you need to replenish it, and sure, it, sure. that also really annoyed me, um, and then when I, I actually had my previous startup was also uh, within e-commerce. So I got to speak to a few brands about why they didn't use some of these new technologies that I discovered. And it turns out as a fashion brand, you obviously don't want to because it's more expensive to produce and your customers will buy less shirts per year. So then you have the perfect, then you have a market that's ready for disruption because the, the established players don't want to use it, but there's a customer demand for it. Right. I would have been that customer back in the day, you know, five years ago when I was like, here it is. Here's my answer. I'm going to buy three. <laughs> <You know? laughs> awesome. Awesome. So let, let's back. Let's go down a little bit your path. Uh, so where did you grow up? I uh, grew up uh, in uh, Copenhagen in Denmark, which is, uh, is in some ways a fairytale country, but also not always that much fun to be in. So uh, after I finished my master's degree when I was uh, 25, I started traveling around. Spent some years in Asia and uh, I was in the Middle East and Africa. And uh, that was for a big shipping company. And I was wearing a suit and tie every day. And then um, after that, I, uh, I moved to Amsterdam to start a, a personal shopping service, which is uh, the European version of Trunk Club, as you have in the US. Yeah, well, we, uh, we launched it from, uh, from my apartment and uh, hired some uh, students, some girls, to, uh, to make the boxes and the phone calls. And then... Uh, we ended up uh, growing it relatively big and uh, and selling it last year, which is why I'm doing something new now. Wow, that's awesome! So, so let's let's go a little bit back, a little bit farther too. So, let's. Uh, what did your parents do, or what do they do? Uh, my parents, uh, my dad is working in a warehouse, and my mom is a hostess in a car dealership. Okay, so where was the entrepreneur spirit that you seem to have after uh, getting out of college? Uh, it, it's not really for my family, but my family is uh, there's no one that has an education or anything like that. But they work really hard and they have mm-hmm. really good uh, morale, if you can call it that. So I definitely learned that you make your own life and you should do something that makes you happy. Um, but the entrepreneurial part, I think it came from me backpacking actually. Really, I, uh, really, really. Yes, after my bachelor when I was 20, I did like. Like so many other people when they're 20 years old, I went backpacking in Southeast Asia through Cambodia and Thailand and Indonesia and, and so on. And uh, I just, I thought the world was an amazing place. And uh, I found out that I was capable of a lot of things. I was traveling a lot of the time alone and I thought, ah, the world is not, it's not that scary. Maybe I should not go for the safe, secure job at home and then try my luck on something uh, that I can build myself. That's interesting. What, are you, what were you studying at school? I actually studied, uh, on the bachelor, it was just business economics, and then on my master's program, which was in, uh, in China and in, uh, in Copenhagen, I studied uh, something called strategic market creation, which is literally thinking out new great products, and then you just spend two years trying to figure out how to get a good idea. So where does 
fashion, you know, or clothing come into this equation where you're like, you know what, I think I could uh, disrupt this uh, this industry? Uh, it, it, I, I don't care that much about fashion, but I do care about looking my best, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. It was mainly because it's such a hassle. Uh, it's it's annoying in your life, and I was used to wearing a suit and tie in my in my previous job. So this this rush going to the uh, to the mall next to where I worked and having to buy something and never really being satisfied, but then wearing it anyway. And yeah, I thought there must be better things to spend your life on than shopping and ironing and washing. <laughs> Yes, the uh, ironing of shirts was also an issue back in the uh, serving days. It's like, oh, I just got to get to work. I got to go iron this white shirt. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I, I, said, I cannot count how many times I checked into a hotel like at midnight and then asking when I check in for an iron so I can be ready in the morning for the meetings. Uh, that is just really, really not a nice feeling. That's cool. So when you're out backpacking, what you know, kind of, I guess, would you, would you describe it as finding yourself or just, just putting yourself in the world? You know, how, how did you start that journey? You know, how did you convince your parents, like, hey, I'm just going to go hang out for a little while? You know, what, what was it like there to, to have, kind of have that vulnerability and that, the cojones to go out and just do this? Um, well, uh, well, in Denmark, actually, it's a, it's a lot of people doing it. It's quite n- normal to take a gap year and then go to uh, you know, Australia or, or Asia or something like that and travel for a few months. Uh, for me, in the beginning, I just wanted to do it in a very civilized way. I didn't want to go to any of the crazy countries, and I wanted to travel with my best friend and so on. But then uh, once you hit the ground, and uh, I got convinced to, to go to uh, Myanmar and Cambodia and those kind of countries instead of just the civilized ones, then I found out that that was quite that was quite exciting. So then I also wanted to take it a little bit further and travel uh, on my own a bit more without my friend. And uh, yeah, even I even uh, spent a night sleeping on the streets in, in Laos because I wanted to see how that would feel, and that didn't feel very nice. So I didn't, <laughs> didn't do that again. But uh, I tried just a bunch of different things. Wow! Wow! That, that sounds like an amazing experience. Uh, I, I don't think that's something culturally that we push here in America. You know, it's it, it's you know, it's it's a definitely a rarity. I, I see it once in a while from some of the people that I worked with, and uh, you know, when I was younger. But it's definitely not something that's openly talked about. Like, hey, this is a good idea for you. If, if you say that here, you're shunned. You know? Yeah, you shouldn't be, well, you shouldn't I, be thinking about that. Thinking about that. No, well, I actually did it. Uh, I did it twice. So I uh, I went back uh, to Asia and to Australia also afterwards and did it for uh, the first time for seven months, the, the last time also for, for, for quite a while. Uh, I think it might be related to the fact that we, we get paid quite a lot of money while we study in Denmark. Like we literally get a salary while we're students from the state. So Yeah, that would make, <laughs> make a difference. <laughs> yeah, and then it's also free to study, of course. So uh, everyone also works uh, next to their studies. So you actually end up saving up money while you study, and then instead of having a debt, and then you spend that money when you're done studying on traveling. <laughs> yeah, that's not here. So here we come out of out of school with like uh, you know half a million dollars in debt, and uh, good luck yeah, finding a job. I, I heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we we're a little backwards over here. Uh, I'm a, I apologize on half of these podcasts. I, I uh, most of my interviews are, are with people throughout the world, so I'm like. I'm sorry. I'm, nah, I, you uh, don't have to be. I mean, <laughs> you also don't have to pay 60% in taxes. I, I did that on my first job ever, like the first job after I graduated. That, that does not feel good to see that you're giving me way more than you earn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be a tough pill to swallow. 
Yes, and you know, the, the average burger in Copenhagen will cost you $20. So it's, uh, you also have to spend a lot of money when you live. So no matter where you go outside of Copenhagen, then you're just like, wow, this is cheap. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine, you know, probably in those, some of those other countries, you know, the, the, the cost ratio are probably just, through the, just crazy. Yes, definitely. Wow, wow. So, so, you, so you kind of come back and you're in your apartment. Let's talk about the, that, the, the, basically with uh, the trunk club type of style. What was it called again? What was the company? It was called uh, The Cloak Room. Okay. So, so you got that entrepreneur. You're sitting there and you're like, I think I got an idea. And, and you wanted to start disrupting there. Like, where does that idea come from? Uh, it came from uh, my co-founder at that time. He, he, he hated shopping even more than me. And he, uh, he sent me the link, actually, for Trunk Club. And we thought that it, it looked quite nice, but you have to change it and tweak it quite a bit to make it work in Europe. But uh, that, that's what we wanted to do. And then um, we asked quite a lot of investors, more than 100. And they all said no, including in Copenhagen, where they literally said, if you have a business where physical, like human beings are touching physical products, we don't invest because they just do, they only do software and, uh, and biotech and so on. Hmm. Uh, but then there was this South African guy who just moved to Amsterdam and he had a lot of money and he said uh, that we could have uh, 50,000 and then uh, we, we could see, he wants to see what we could do with it. And uh, yeah, then I quit my job in Copenhagen and moved to Amsterdam because this guy was in Amsterdam and then uh, we started it up. That's cool. So, you know, since you're on your kind of second venture here, what, what's been the biggest difference from starting that company to what's happening right now with the shirts? Uh, I changed my mindset a lot uh, with the with the cloakroom. It was a lot about growing it fast, raising a lot of venture capital, hiring a lot of people, launching new countries. And now I'm a bit older and wiser, I think. So now I just really want to create the best shirt in the world, and it's less about the speed. And uh, I just want, yeah, I, I really want to uh, to see if we can set some new standards for what people expect when they buy a shirt. That's that's interesting. So. In terms of LabFresh, kind of this, this, this idea that right now, what's been the biggest pivot or the biggest roadblock you know, that's happened over the last couple of years for you to get to this point that you are right now? Um, there hasn't actually been any roadblocks. It's been quite straightforward. Uh, I was living in Berlin in, uh, in Germany uh, the first nine months of the year. And while we were there, I started, uh, together with my co-founder, uh, ordering a lot of um, product samples. For every time I could, uh, I was reading academic journals and stuff like that to figure out who's really doing something cool with uh, with their chemicals and nanotechnology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I would interview some of these people and figure out uh, like who, who's actually able to produce it. Uh, but the first many many samples were just so crappy. Uh, we must have had a hundred samples. Uh, so then I started thinking that it was impossible to make a shirt that had these properties and was also looked like something I would like to wear. Uh, because people care actually a lot about what they wear in, uh, in Denmark and also in Holland. Uh, like it, it, it's a lot. Like it's okay in the morning to comment on people if you have a striped shirt on, and then other guys will tell their Danish colleagues about what they think about the shirt, if it's pretty or not. I mean, it's, hmm. <laughs> that we just talk a lot about fashion. So you, you don't want to pay 100 euros for a shirt that doesn't look like a 100 euros shirt. Interesting. So how did you kind of come up with your standards? Like, you know, <clears throat> where these are the these are the the points we want to hit. You know, when we're kind of putting together the product. Well, I was fortunate 
uh, because I have I have a lot of data from the Cloakroom business. We actually have uh, two hundred thousand pieces of stock that we own in a big warehouse that we also built from scratch. So mm. I had access to all the best shirt brands and how often people replenish them through us. So if you buy Hugo Boss shirts and you buy new ones every six months, I could also see which fits people like the most, uh, who has problems with the sleeves being too short and so on. And of course, I can go to the warehouse and check out the, the, the top 100 most popular shirts in Europe, for example. So, yeah, I just digged into all this data to figure out what kind of designs and standards that were the most popular. Now, so, so something that I, I've actually been... been uh, I wouldn't say a part of, but but I've, I've, I'm getting more familiar with is what's happening with fashion in terms of you know you, the hottest new brands every like 12 months, make, basically making you throw away clothes, like you kind of keep this industry constantly going. I, I think there was a good documentary on it that I, uh, I saw it at a film festival. I can't think what it was right now, where it was just breaking down the the, the fashion industry. You know, uh, you, you just you, you get new clothes every 12 months, right? <laughs> um, how do you see yourself fitting in this? And do you see yourself disrupting that model where you invest in really good clothes and you keep them for five years or something like that? Or, or how do you see yourself fitting in that? Yeah, well, we, that's definitely what we want to, uh, to disrupt because uh, I, I've been in showrooms of more than 100 brands with uh, the Clogum trying to buy stuff. And they all have this setup where they have uh, maybe four collections per year and you pre-ordered it six months in advance. And then they only have a few items that they call never out of stock that you can always buy. Yeah. So they always do small tweaks to the design or big tweaks to the design so that you feel like you need the newer stuff. Uh, I, think, uh, I think that's ridiculous, especially for men's fashion. It, does, it doesn't change enough for you to reinvent the shirt every, every three months. Come on. Sure, and, sure. And at the same time, you, especially in Europe, you see Sarah and H&M and these fast fashion brands really pushing a lot of product. And it's always on sale and it's always at such low prices. Uh, I mean, if you buy a shirt for 30 or 40 euros, it's basically something that you want to use in every seven to eight times. And then you throw it out or you just mm -hmm. forget it in your closet. And, uh, and that's what I both tried to change with the Cloakroom, where we all only sell, sold quite expensive quality products. And then also with, uh, with LabFresh. Um, so if you're an established brand, it's horrible if your customers keep that shirt for two years or even wear it five day, the same shirt five days a week because they don't need a, a, bit, a big closet. But I don't want personally a big closet in my home. And I don't think our customers want to have 30 shirts. They, if they can have five, that's, that's much better. So let me just uh, go with that. It's funny what you're speaking on there is there was another documentary I just finished up watching called, uh, I think it was called Minimalism. It's on Netflix. And that one really struck me because I feel like I'm a minimalist guy. Like, man, I got three pairs of jeans, you know, four t-shirts. That's all I really need. Yet I keep buying more stuff, you know, and I'm just part of this cycle, you know, and, and I see this sort of change coming for, I think, you know, my age bracket, I'm, I'm late thirties, uh, you know, where I'm just like, I don't need half of the stuff. You know, I really want to find and invest in the one good piece of furniture or the one shirt that's great, the one suit, you know. And, and yes, I, I believe and I just, that. Just, yeah, that's, but that's going against, you know, our economy, everything. It's just going against the grain on, on so many things. Uh, it's funny, just like coming off of Christmas. It's like that's half my conversations with my parents. Like, we don't need all these toys for my kids. We got, like, like for us personally, I invested in... Um, most of my gifts came from Kickstarter. So I bought 
a lot of toys that were like one-offs. You know, like this is a cool wooden toy. Awesome. But see, you know, you but know. see what, what you ex- what you um, explaining now is actually that people end up spending more money on clothing, for example, when it's cheap because then they buy it more often. Uh, but I don't think it's bad for the economy when you sell shirts for 100 or 120 euros. It's, uh, right. It still right. requires some investment. What, what, what was intriguing, too, is, is when you are constantly, and this is, again, I'm quoting this documentary that I can't think of at the moment because I'm brain farting here, but how much that that's our oil, we depend on oil for that, uh, you know, shipping and containers, how much it pollutes the, the earth. It's just so not energy conscious when you're just throwing away a shirt after I wore it three times, it disintegrated. I'll just get another one. Ex- get another one. Exactly. And then it's not just about making all these magic nanotech properties or whatever. It's also about the design because we only do basic design because I don't want the, the, these shirts to go out of fashion next year. I want them to be something that you can use for a long time. So it's also about, it's also about having healthy consumption uh, trends where it's not about having the new stuff all the time, but it's more about having something of a good quality. Yeah, I, I noticed in your video, I never saw a shirt with your logo all over the front of it in some weird, uh, you know, cool font thing. You know? <laughs> no, <laughs> none of that. No, exactly. And, and okay, now it's so maybe people don't put a logo or anything on shirts all the time, but you see a lot of patterns, for example, or you see a lot of people trying with different colors on the inside of the cuffs or something like that or different kind of colors of buttons or whatever. You can pimp a shirt in a lot of ways. But we just want it to be very simple. Right, right. Now, it, it, it's, it's, it's a great concept. So let's flip a little bit. Um, since you've already started a company and you've obviously done, v, it sounds like VC or investment money, how did you decide to go to Kickstarter um, for, for LabFresh? Yeah, well, I think actually that's very uh, like what you were just describing yourself, Jeff, that that I just enjoy using the platform. I, uh, I love that if I want to buy um, a jacket with 200 pockets, then uh, I can go to Kickstarter and find them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always told myself that once I was out of this bigger business, the cloak room, uh, then I wanted to do something on Kickstarter because yeah, it's just I just personally like it. Um, it's not always fun to produce a physical product. It's quite annoying, I think, to work with factories and manufacturers and so on. But uh, but the process is, uh, the end product you get, that's, that's quite a nice feeling. Sure. So, so let's, I'll, I'll let my listeners know just in case they're not looking. So you had a $15,000 goal. I, I think in, I'm looking at it in uh, U.S. dollars, so it might be different for, are you in euros? Is that what you're saying? Uh, it's it's, it's 15000 in uh, euros also. So. Okay. All right. So, yeah, so, so right around there. And, and you're at just under... 62,000 with 19 days to go. So you've obviously crushed your goal. So what was the $15,000 for? How did you come up with that goal amount? And what would, you know, what is that doing for the product? Uh, the 15,000 was minimum, the minimum orders we needed to place with the factory. So my philosophy around the targets you said is that you can be strategic about it and so on, but it can also bite you in the ass. If you set it too high or too low, if you set it too low because it's the right strategy, and you actually hit it, but you said it, but you said it's so low, so it's gonna cost you too much money to produce it. Then you're gonna lose money. So, yeah, fifteen thousand was the minimum we needed in order to create to, to uh, create a collection. Interesting. And then, what was a, like a pre-marketing strategy that you might have been using before you hit the launch button? Did you do pay-per-clicks or landing pages, or what did you guys do before you launched? Yeah, this is quite untraditional, I think, because we. 
we did a lot on the PR front, but we did nothing paid and we did not collect a lot of emails or social media likes or anything like that. Uh, when we launched, we had 120 email signups and uh, 350 followers on Facebook. Wow, those aren't that big numbers. How, did you see a, a lot of, um, of tra- traffic from the, your previous business at all? Uh, no, it's also not from that. Uh, it mainly came from us making some good deals with the biggest newspapers and TV stations and radios and so on in our home countries. And then uh, after it was exposed there, then we just got so many phone calls every day from other media who wanted to, uh, who wanted to write about it and make shots of us putting red wine on, on, on each other. So, so that's interesting. So you went a tr- more of a traditional media campaign is what you're, is what you're kind of describing. describing. Is that yeah, correct? And, correct? Yeah, and there's a, there's a clear reason for that. It's because uh, we don't use this to raise as much money as possible. We use this to see if there's a product market fit. Uh, I don't want to stop being in my other business and go all in on this if it's not something that we can create into a decently sized business. So if enough people are willing to, to back it now, and I did not cheat or whatever you can call it by throwing uh, tens of thousands of dollars right. after paid marketing, then, uh, then it works. And in this case, it's just all organic. We spent $700 uh, in total on, uh, on setting everything up. And uh, yeah, I think we will be um, way, way above 100,000 raised. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You guys are definitely trending towards 100 to 150, somewhere in that ballpark when it's all said and done with the way you guys are, 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 have the energy. What was the, um, what was the nature like uh, when you're working on the traditional side, I guess, you know, in your country? Did you find everybody was supportive of you? Because I'll, I'll tell you what happens here is nobody wants to write about a Kickstarter here. So traditionally with my clients in America, we just don't go after that much traditional press just because nobody cares. <laughs> you know, go find yeah, money somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. It's also if you go to a journalist here and you say, we have this new Kickstarter project, then you're not going to get a reply back. I, uh, I think it's an art form to speak media, so to speak mm-hmm. a language that makes them find it interesting. So I will always change the pitch depending on which journalist that I'm approaching. If it's uh, someone who likes technology or fashion or startups or that wrote about me in the past because of my other company or something like that. And then uh, I'm also blessed with having a very charming uh, co-founder. And uh, the way she would go around with the shirts, just jumping on her bike and uh, going to the, uh, to the uh, editorial office of a newspaper or whatever and then showing them a little red wine in front of everyone, uh, how the shirt works and so on, uh, that creates a really good connection. Well, I will say that that's a strong marketing pitch of the pouring of the, the red wine. <laughs> that's like, I mean, that sells it like within 10 seconds, you're like, I need one of those shirts. I've spilled red wine. <laughs> spilled red wine, actually. Uh, New Year's Eve, my wife did all over our friends. It's like, oh, man, I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I had blood on my left fresh shirt at New Year, and that could also just rinse off. So now it's also tested with that. <laughs> That's awesome. So I'll, I'll let our listeners know, too, that, I mean, as of right now, and we'll probably post this next week sometime, but, you, I mean, you have 500 backers. That, to me, is the number that you have to also probably be pretty excited about, that there's 500 people, you know, excited about your, about your product, your shirt, you know, that's a ton of people right now for a small startup. Yeah, I think so. It's, uh, we've been live for nine, for nine days now. Um, we might start being more, what can you say, out there, telling more people about it, maybe even approaching some U.S. journalists and so on. I, I think some of this stuff will start next week. So I think we should, we should end up way above uh, a thousand backers. 
And uh, yeah. well, yeah. I remember how long it took to get a thousand customers when we were sitting in my apartment with the with the cloakroom. That uh, oh. that was quite a quite a hassle. I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah, it's a yeah. This is why I love the power of Kickstarter, where you can just you can go out and test, test and test, and just see like, all right, there's actually something here. I can probably more comfortably make bigger decisions now in 2017 based on the data you're getting here. Yeah, it's completely amazing. I'm actually blown away also by all the messages we get when people have uh, inputs on how we can uh, improve this or that or who we should talk to and, uh, and people trust us like that. It's, uh, I really start believing in the good of the world when, uh, when I see uh, platforms like this. I agree. I, you mentioned one of the things that I, I tell everybody, where, I, and I think it's one of the biggest parts for, for you know, uh, projects like yourself, it's when you get the free information from people, you, you can choose to ignore it. But somebody might come to you with like something you're like, that is a great idea. I never thought about that. And that's that's this community. You know, that well, actually, I, 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 yeah, well, awesome. We're not ignoring it at all because we're not running campaigns and so on. We actually have time to look at every message. And uh, there's a bunch of people already that we set up phone calls with and uh, coffee chats and so on. Uh, and there's actually a lot of very interesting people on Kickstarter, even if they're doing something else. But there's a lot of entrepreneurs who have great products themselves. So, uh yeah, so I mean, we get we get a very nice network from this actually. That's cool. What are you doing? I, I was looking at. Um, I saw that your like referral bonus that you have there, the ten percent cashback. Can you walk me through a little bit of that strategy, or or, or um, what's the idea behind it? Uh, yeah, that's uh, something around ten thousand out of our sixty-two thousand comes from uh, from referrals now. Uh, it's just very simple. It's a link. It's our name, lefres.kickbooster.me. Uh, everyone who goes in there and create themselves, when they tell their friends or their colleagues at the office about it, then uh, we give them a discount or we deduct 10% from, uh, from the money that they gave to us. Interesting. Was that something that you had to set up through a third party or did you guys were able to do that on your own? I, I was just wondering how it works kind of with Kickstarter. Yeah, uh, we set it up through uh, Kickbooster, it's called. Okay. Uh, that's that's definitely worth it. Their fees are really low. Uh, they're easy to work with. It would it would never make sense to to set it up on your own. Sure. And I also noticed too, like you have Backer Club. Uh, you're featured there too. How is that relationship working? Um, Backer Club is just something that I think is nice to use because uh, if you back Kickstarter projects a couple of times per per year, then yeah, it just makes sense to have. But uh, we didn't get a lot of business through it. But uh, we are one of their projects. Okay. And then walk me through a little bit too, like what does shipping look like in your world? How did you, um, you know, address that, you know, for somebody here in Detroit who might want to get a shirt? Uh, how did you work that into the campaign and how did you prepare for it? How are you preparing for it? I should. Actually, that, that part is my specialty. So when I was talking about sweating in my white shirt in Africa and the Middle East, what I was doing was shipping. I was literally going around to ports and distribution centers and stuff like that and optimizing how they do their supply chains. Uh, so I set it up in a way so we have um, a warehouse in Chicago for the U.S. and can can Canadian customers and then we have one here in Amsterdam. Uh, we have deals with the local carriers so that it will be uh, United uh, USPS that are doing it in the U.S. and we have... Post NL in Holland, and we have uh, Post Nordics in in Denmark, and so on. Um, set up with track and trace codes, and, and 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 quite low prices as well. So we we can offer free shipping both in the US and Europe, but we do charge fifteen euros if you are not in the US or Europe. Gotcha. So, so be, yeah, obviously you're an expert in that world. 
it, for the for the layman, how would you address or or how would you suggest they get started with shipping if they needed to, if they're trying to produce a global product, you know, a board game or whatever it is that's going to require shipping? What's the first steps that they should be looking at? Uh, first step you should look at is uh, the pricing. It has to match the import tariffs in whatever countries you expect to sell to. So if you are, if you have um, what can you say pledges that are more than two hundred dollars, you might pay a very big import tariff, and you should pay that on behalf of your backers. Otherwise, you are not a nice guy. So mm-hmm. you have to factor that in. Um, and at the same time, you should start talking to uh, fulfillment centers. Uh, because if you s- plenty of uh, fulfillment partners will be okay with you sending 500 shirts to their warehouse as a one-time thing, and then they, you distribute it through that deals instead of you having to make your own deal. Uh, I get so sad every time if I buy something and I, I receive a package from uh, Singapore from someone and I can just see that they paid you know, $50 to ship uh, this little thing to me. It's, uh, it's just a waste right. of your money. Yes, yes. I've also found, too, that it is the Achilles heel for a healthy amount of very successful campaigns. They just didn't do the shipping correctly. I've seen it in board games so often where I'm like, oh, man, guys, you didn't you didn't calculate correctly, you know. And also, too, the other one I've seen, the other one I've seen, too, is, you know, prices changing in the time that they raise the money and then were able to deliver. You know, there was a change in there. Is there any way to combat that at all? So, can you explain that again? So, so I've seen people charged correctly to ship all over the world, but they actually can't deliver their product for like a year and a half, right? They have to go make their product. And then the, the pricing of shipping changes. You know, it goes up, it goes down, whatever. <laughs> and now they don't have enough money. Is there any way to combat that, or is that just business? Well, that I haven't heard about, but then uh, then you're doing something wrong for sure. Uh, I don't know what the fix is there, but I I definitely also there were some campaigns that I wanted to back, but because I'm in in Europe, I would have to pay forty or fifty dollars for the shipping and stuff like that. Then then you covered your ass. I mean, the prices are not going to get a lot higher than that, I would assume. But, right, right. But that's also just meaning that you there's a lot of customers in in Europe, for example, who will not back your project. So yeah, uh, my buddy, my buddy Paul, who's on, uh, he works for us at Woodshed Agency. He he put out a game and he lost a, a healthy amount of European backers just because he's like, I gotta charge forty bucks. I gotta get this big thing there. You know, it's just what it is. It is. But that it's not necessary. I mean, we are in Amsterdam, but we do our shipping in the U.S. for seven and a half euros. That, that that's our cost because we just send it, it bulk ship it on a on a pallet to a fulfillment center in Chicago, and then they will do the rest. Yeah. Ah, shipping. So, so you've got 19 days to go. <clears throat> Let's move over to better stuff to talk about. You've got 19 days to go. What is kind of the mindset right now? I think we talked for a minute that it, it, you saw maybe the first day of it slowing down your campaign. But, but you know, how are you planning on combating that? And, and you know, what, what's, this, what's the energy like around you guys right now? It's, it's been very good. Uh, we have a majority of backers from Denmark and, uh, and, and Holland, of course. Uh, but also something like 40% of our backers are first-time uh, Kickstarter backers, which is, awesome. which is quite nice to see. So there's quite a lot of Kickstarter users in Europe, even though we don't have that many projects. But to have that many new ones, uh, yeah, that means that they really want the product because otherwise it's scary to order something that you might not receive in the next five months. Uh, so what we will do now is that we will slowly start with the paid strategy. I think it's uh, it's time to do that when we have 16 days to go or something like that. 
so, so working on doing some pay-per-clicks or, or Facebook ads, stuff like that? Uh, yeah, it will be entirely, entirely Facebook. Uh, we're also considering working with uh, uh, an agency. Okay, and, and, and like, w- what is the the thought behind that? You know, that that they can create some ads, or, or like, why would you? What, what's the what's the decision process behind that? Yeah, well, the decision process is that uh, I'm, I'm not an expert in marketing, but I'm also not a complete noob. I, I did run quite a few campaigns in back before we had a, a marketing team in my startup, so. I, I know sort of what our limitations are. And mainly it's because when you are an agency uh, and you already did a 50 Kickstarter campaigns, you have a lot of cookies installed in a lot of browsers and you know uh, these 2 million backers or whatever that you can target directly because, and, then, and they are then repeat backers. But uh, what we do is we, we have to target much more broadly. Uh, mm-hmm. And Kickstarter users are not uh, a, a huge chunk of uh, of a city or of a country. So if you target too broadly, you might get good CPC, but you will not have a good conver- conversion. So the, what the agencies can do is to char- to target directly only the repeat backers. I think that's very powerful. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that's a good idea. So you know, walk me through a little bit. You know, this is this campaign is going to be successful, and you know, the sky's the limit right now. Uh, where do you see LabFresh in the next five years? Uh, well, yeah, first we want to make this shirt, of course, our, our core product and uh, the best shirt that any of our customers ever had. Uh, once that is live, we already did play around with a lot of prototypes for socks and boxes and T-shirts and so on. So the idea is to try to apply this kind of technology to as many product groups as possible. Um, so that I also in my own closet can just like I had the same socks on now for 40 days I mean they they, they tested through and it's an amazing feeling it's just a pair of of black socks it's fine so uh, we would like to first uh, yeah make sure that we can fill up as much of your closet as possible with these kind of properties and then uh, yeah we would like to keep uh, to keep our customers both in the US and Europe happy and, and serve them and what do you see different? Let's just say, you know, if you were to yeah, look at a crystal ball, that you want to do different with this idea and company than the previous one. In uh, in the previous one, we ended up uh, uh, burning uh, through uh, a million uh, a million euros per year while we had it in venture capital. And uh, I feel like you lose control with your company when you have a too high burn rate, when you hire too many people and have too much cost. So the way we set it up now is so that journalists can, um, that I can build the web shop myself in, in a drag and drop system, that uh, I can do my own finances and so on. So we try to keep the, the fixed cost as low as possible so that we can, uh, can, uh, can put, what can you say, so that we can invest in, in creating a good product instead. Yeah, that's awesome. I, I, I like that, that idea behind it. I, I find too that in some of these companies when they get too big, they just can't change quick enough or they can't you know, stop at an ad campaign that's not working because they got to go through decision makers. I think you get so much power when you have a small team that you can pivot, you know, this isn't working, let's do this, you know. Yeah, but it's also, uh, I'm also a lot inspired by uh, the four-hour work week and uh, the digital nomads and that kind of stuff. That um, If you are in control of your own business like that, uh, we can go to, to Bali and sit on the beach for two months and run the business if we feel like it, uh, we are tired of all the wet snow in this city, for example. There's just a lot of free freedom in having a, an efficient business. 
Yeah, I agree. That's that's uh, that four hour work week changed my life. Little Tim Ferriss shout out. Yeah, that, that's why we do this, man. I can. I need, if I have internet connection, I'm good to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a nice yeah. freedom, and I think our, our generation is so fortunate that we can uh, that, that we can actually um, afford to think like that. Yeah, I agree completely. I, I question half the time. I mean, I'm sitting in 12 degree weather right now. It, it, we had a we had a thunderstorm where it was like um, it snowed and thundered two nights ago. It's like, where am I? Why am I here? I know I could be anywhere in the world right now. The world right now. <laughs> yeah. Well, every every place has its charms. I also love the seasons and so on. But I mean, biking around in Amsterdam with the canals and so on. Maybe it's snowing today. But that's like eight months a year where, okay, I, I need to wear a jacket, but it's still beautiful. Right, so right. it's not, I mean, it's just, this is a nice freedom to have that I can, uh, that we can go wherever we want. That is awesome. Well, Casper, I, I appreciate you taking some time out of your day to, uh, to chat about Lab Fresh, your Kickstarter, your, your background. Uh, it was a great conversation, and, uh, and uh, I think you're doing some amazing work. Yeah, this was really, really nice. Thanks for inviting me. No problem. Thanks again. Have a good one. Yeah, you also. Bye. How about that conversation with Casper? Man, that's a seasoned entrepreneur. Um, you know, almost almost does feel a little fairy tale land. I mean, I can't imagine having the um, the ability to go backpack for a couple months after school, or having my school paid for, and 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 having education be at the forefront. I mean, sure, maybe we pay more in taxes, but could you imagine that sort of lifestyle? I can't. Everything's been a grind. You know, I can't. I, I'm, you know, I'm the one that I didn't go to school. I, I saw that trap, and I was like, "There is no way um, for what I envisioned my life to be where school made any sense." Now I get it. If you want to go be a doctor, an architect, whatever, I get that. But we're doing a podcast right now, and I'm doing crowdfunding consulting. You know how I became an expert on this? I did it for six, seven years. You can be an expert on anything, anything if you do it for six, seven years, right? You, come on, you just gotta have a little bit of uh, brains to so. Really great conversation with Casper. Uh, I think it's just eye-opening to, to, to hear the differences and, and, and how those differences are, encourage um, entrepreneurs and creativity and just the ability. I mean, he studied in school the, the idea of going out and disrupting an industry. Do you get that here? No, no, no. We want you to conform. We want you to be a part of the system. Fuck that. Fuck that straight up awesome conversation man i hope everybody uh enjoyed it um you know we'll hope everybody has a great weekend and uh we'll see you all next week There's something in you that makes me believe.